Well, sometimes the things that are basic are well known. Sometimes the things that are basic are not so well known, but they're still basic, and we realize that. They're not so well known because we take them for granted. Let me, um, let me demonstrate. One of the things that's basic, and this has to do with what we're uh, going to talk about now, is breathing. If you have ever had the wind knocked out of you, or you can't catch your breath, you notice how basic breathing is. But most of the time, you don't really notice it. And yet, it's vital to your life and to the quality of your life. The, um, the basic item that we're going to discuss tonight is the spirit. Now, that's one that's very basic, and yet we treat it as if it is a, um, a very complex subject. And yet, it is. It's very complex because it's, it's, it's still quite mysterious. And yet, it's fundamental, it's basic to Scripture. Now, I think the place to begin with this, and we're not going to cover it all in one, in one episode here, in one session. The place to begin with this is to ask the question, what is a spirit? Okay? Um, every language of humanity has an association of words with spirit and air and breath and wind. Uh, You can look in Latin. This is about the only time that I'm going to get real geeky about language. But uh, in Latin, you have the word spiritus, which we get our word uh, respiration out of that, or spirits. Um, You have the word in Greek, pneuma, or pneuma. And you have in Hebrew, ruach. And we still use these words. That's why I'm bringing them up. I mean, look, here. I've got the Harbor Freight Catalog right here. And in the Harbor Freight Catalog, you can get air impact wrenches by a company called Central Pneumatic. And why is it called that? It's called that because it comes from that Greek word, pneuma. And, you know, if you've, if you've ever known someone or if you've ever had pneumoma, you know, uh, pneumonia. We don't say the P because we don't do that, but in Greek you would. Okay, that, we understand that that has to do with air and it has to do with breathing. It's also our word then for spirit. And the fascinating thing is just about every human language has this connection with spirit, spiritual, air, wind, breath, and all the things that that contains in, in meaning. And then there's usually another set of words that have to do with soul or the inner person. In Latin, the, uh, the partner, you know, think of these as like salt and pepper. They go together, but they're very different. Uh, in Latin, it's anima, like animated, okay? You've got some, something living. In Greek, it's... Um, Tsuke, which is like psychology, the mind, your thinking. Um, and in Hebrew, it's nefesh, which has to do with life. So th- these two things go together, but they're not exactly the same thing. Now, that's just a real basic primer on this. This whole notion remains in English 
when we talk about spirit and soul. And sometimes we interchange those, and we're probably mixing our salt and pepper up a little bit more than we ought to. Now, you can do the same thing in the other languages. It's not uncommon that the words get interchanged with each other. But I think we're much more prone to do this in English because we have another word that jumps in here. And we can thank the uh, translators of the King James because they're using 17th century English. But it's very different for us when you speak of the Holy Ghost. Mm, Now we're getting spooky, okay? And that's because there's an old English word that we pick up as ghost, which has to do with all that immaterial stuff and spirits and beings. But then we really start to adopt some, some stuff. We, I mean, we, we have gone from the Holy Ghost in the 17th century to Casper the Friendly Ghost and Ghostbusters, all right? So, I mean, you've got a whole, whole new bag of meaning attached to this, and you can see the problem that we're in. But we're going to just kind of set the ghosts aside, and we're going to focus on spirits and souls. The spirit... The Spirit of God, and I know that uh, there's some discussion, is the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord, is that the same thing as the Holy Spirit, which is part of the Trinity? We will get to that in due time. Not now, but in, in, later, in later discussions. The Spirit of the Lord, it doesn't take long for the Spirit of the Lord to show up in Scripture. If you began reading the Bible today, you would run into it before you get two verses in. If you want to take a look with me at Genesis Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here's God's Spirit. What is that, his breath? Is it his, is it his uh, force? Is it his power? Okay, it's, just, it's ruach. That's ruach. Okay, that's that Hebrew word. Ruach. All right, we're going to run into it again uh, in Genesis uh, 6. In Genesis 6, verse 17, God is um, regretting that he's even made humankind and because the world is full of violence and it's corrupt. And so he's going to uh, wash it out. Verse 17, he says, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. That's ruach again. Here it's breath. Before it was spirit, spirit of God. Here it's breath. You can see that that same word contains both of those meanings. Uh, Just go next door to Genesis chapter 8. Now he's... uh, the flood's going to recede. God's going to move the flood away. God remembered Noah, all the wild animals and the livestock were with him on the ark. And God sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. That's ruach again. So this same word is wind, it's breath, it's air, it's spirit. It's all of those things. All right. Uh, And by the way, this association, I'm not going to explain it or unpack it. You just need to know that it's there because the same thing remains in English. And it's all associated with, uh, 
uh, with one another. All right. In John chapter 3, we see Jesus continue this. Uh, centuries later, here's Jesus. He's uh, speaking to the leaders of Israel. John 3, 8, and, and by the way, this is, now, now this is not Ruach, this is Greek, okay? So this is going to be our pneuma. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus is trying to understand this whole idea of life from above and life, you know, being born again. It doesn't make practical sense to him. And why should it? Um, in chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. There's Numa. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. There's Numa again. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everybody born of the spirit, Numa. But that word back there for wind, the wind blows wherever it pleases, that's also Numa. So what they would have heard is they would have heard... Uh, Numa, Numa, and two different meanings. How do they know the difference? Well, context. But look at what Jesus is doing. He's using that connection between wind and spirit. It's there. It means something. And again, I don't want to explain all this away. I'm not even sure that I could if I wanted to. But I want you to notice it because it means something. It really does mean something. If you look at John 4... Jesus has another encounter, this, this time uh, from the woman at the well. Uh, in John 4, 24, they get into a discussion about worship. Of course, she has the, the big worship topic of her day and age, which is, are we supposed to worship in the temple or uh, worship on the mountain? Your people worship in the temple, my people worship on the mountain. She's a Samaritan. Well, which is it? It's always great when the, you know, when he, Jesus was starting to get into her personal life. And so what does she do? She goes to a worship controversy. I mean, that's, that's, what, you, that's what you do to get people off your own, um, your own business. Well, Jesus has this as an answer. Verse 24. Let's go back to 23. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. And by the way. Just a spoiler for, for uh, future conversations. In John, spirit and truth are going to go together often. Um, anyway, they'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. It doesn't say that God is the spirit. It says he is spirit. Here's this idea, again, of the wind going where it pleases, of the, of the force, of the influence, of the action, and yet it's invisible. Um, again, now, what I'm trying to say is we live with this. We still live with this today, and, and we may not even realize it. Um, I'm going to have you do a little experiment. Uh, kids will especially love this. And I want you, it's going to be silly, but again, this is basic. I want you to do this. Just take your hand. You can either use the back of your hand or you can use the front of your hand, your palm, and just blow on your hand. You know, I want adults to do it too. 
you feel that. And you felt that, that air. And boy, we, do, we use breathing. We use breathing to calm ourselves down. But you didn't see a thing. You saw nothing, but you felt it all. And you know it had an impact. And if you're ever tired or you're stressed, and you stop, take in a deep breath, and let it out. You feel it. It has an effect on you. It affects your vital uh, statistics. It, It affects your body just to do that. But you don't see a thing. This, I think, is why spirit is used to describe and to explain in words the invisible yet very real influence of God in our world. All right, there's a couple of other uses of spirit in the New Testament that I'll mention. In Matthew 27, 50, Jesus gives up his spirit. I'm not talking about his inner soul, it's his spirit. You could, you could fairly translate that as Jesus breathed his last on the cross. Uh, in Mark 8, verse 12, Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And again, because it's Jesus, sometimes we'll want to turn this spirit into something special. But it's not being used in that way. It's being used to describe his inner person. It's being used to describe his breath even, just the very physical nature of his breath. And yet, that same word is also used to talk about God's spirit and the spirit of God. The spirit that goes wherever it pleases, it moves. You see its effects, but you don't see it. All right, so what can we say right now about the spirit? We can say a few things. First of all, it is invisible but influential. Okay? Invisible but influential, like air, like wind, like pneumatic tools. Uh, We see all the machinery that uses air power and wind power, but we don't see it, but we see the effect of it. Um, The second thing we can say is that it is power. Sometimes when spirit is used, it's used to describe power and movement. That when God's spirit moves over the earth and it creates, when God sends a wind to recede the floodwaters, there's power being represented in that. There's some sort of movement and change. Um, Third thing we can say is that spirit is often used, and all the words associated with it are used to describe what is inner and what is emotional, but, but not... We're not talking about emotional as opposed to rational. It can be mind and emotion. It can be all of that. It's just the inner self, the inner experience. And by the way, spirit is often used here and not soul. Sometimes soul is used or mind. But very often it's also spirit. And there is, it's not accidental then that we talk about the word of God being in what? Spired. Inspiration. Uh, you know, Paul says that the word of God, every word is breathed by God. So there's something internal about this, just like we experience the internal nature of air moving in our bodies. And we don't have time to talk about first century and earlier science and what they thought, but, but you get it. We don't have to talk about that because we still use this in our language. We just need to recognize it. 
Um, a very important thing we can say, this is number four, is that spirit has to do with life and it has to do with vitality. Spirit is often used in terms of breath. When God puts his breath inside humankind and inside the creatures of this earth, he's giving them life. All creatures that have the breath of life in them. That means vitality. That means that they are living. Now, when you get into the, the words for soul, that can mean whether or not the creatures are intelligent. But again, that's not really our concern right now. We're, we're back here talking about spirit and life and where does life come from it comes from God Uh, of course there are and we'll again save this for later but there are some instances where the word spirit is being used and it is uniquely being used for the spirit of God or the spirit of the Lord or more frequently in the New Testament the Holy Spirit and we're going to end up with just one of those out of Psalms here as we wrap up we've already talked about the uh, uh Soul, words for soul and ghost and wraith and all that, so we won't, we won't mention that. Um, it's kind of unique to English where spirits are, are things, you know, test the spirits, you know, what are these? Well, don't worry about that right now. Right now we just want to know what do we mean when we use this word spirit. But I think we can say those five things, and then I want you to keep that in mind as we look at a few examples wrapping up here. In Psalm 51, one of the uh, particular mentions of the Holy Spirit in Old Testament. Usually in Old Testament we get, and again, we're translating different languages, but we end up with Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord comes on people, and next time we're going to talk about how the Spirit of the Lord empowers leaders, okay, because we'll, you see that a lot. Uh, but in, in, in Psalm 51, this psalm is really, is, is truly, and I think rightly connected with David, who had done horrible things and disappointed God. And he's asking God for mercy. Uh, when you get to verse 10, David is, is praying, saying, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's talking about his spirit, his, his inner self. Um, do not cast me out from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David has a spirit. God has a Holy Spirit. There's some connection there with their spirits, and David doesn't want to lose that. His path of sin, though, numbed him and made him disconnected from God's Holy Spirit and he was really afraid that he would lose that Holy Spirit and God's presence that God would turn his back on him so he's pleading to God for mercy and I'm not going to explain Psalm 51 but look how deeply personal and, and inner that connection is that Holy Spirit has a lot to do with the way that we experience God and encounter God. God's encountered and revealed as the Father. He's revealed as the Son, Jesus, who came to this earth, and then through his Spirit. But we'll talk about the relationship of those later. In Job 32, Job has an understanding of this, um, just like David did. In, In Job 32... 
a second. I'll look at it. There it is. Job chapter 32, verse 8. Job says this about spirit. It is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. In one sentence, he's connected so many of these ideas. The spirit in a person, that inner person, the breath of the Almighty, that vitality and that, that, that animating spirit of God, and understanding. Job's linked all those. He just knows this. He's commenting on this. Um, and then, here's one of the best that we'll, we'll, we'll use for later. If you look in the prophets at Joel, Joel chapter 2. Um, this, by the way, becomes the text for Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he preaches from a text. Don't you love that? He preaches from the Bible. Peter doesn't have any, I mean, you know, he's he, just like all the rest of us. He's preaching out of Scripture. And he's, he's preaching. And yet, day of Pentecost is a big day for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that again later. But in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, Joel, no, hold off on Pentecost. Let's reel back in time a little bit. Joel, centuries before Pentecost, has this, this promise, speaking for God, that God says, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God is going to be extremely generous with his spirit. And it just may be that those days are these days. And we'll talk about what it means next time for God to pour out his spirit on his servants and to empower us to do more than what we're able to do with just our spirit. But that's next time. So right now what we're going to do is uh, we are going to sing this song. We're going to be dismissed in prayer. Now, right now, during this song, uh, they've prepared uh, communion for anybody that wants it in room 100. And you can go there during this song. So let's stand up. Let's sing together. <laughs>